0: So it's a privilege to be here. We're going to open up the Bible. We love the Bible in this church. We love Scripture. We love it when Jesus speaks. We want to be a people that don't just um, worship Him with our lips, but we want our lives to demonstrate that we're followers of Jesus. Isn't that right? Okay. So why don't we open our Bibles? We're going to be in the Book of Mark. We're continuing in our little series and. I guess it's because it's, we're pushing towards summer. Wasn't it lovely, hey, the weather this weekend. I think maybe if you're quite far out in D-side, it got a bit stormy, though. Is that right? I don't know. But I, I, got, I, I got a little bit burnt on the forehead. But I, summer's coming, and so holiday, I'm thinking about holidays. And I was reminded of a time, we went, uh, We went we on a little family holiday to Turkey, and I took my mum and dad with us. Always a risk, but anyway, you know, take your parents on holiday. You think, oh, is it going to work? But it did. It was fine. Anyway, so went on holiday to Turkey, took mom and dad. And um, if any of you are like me, I know there's a few of you a bit like this. You don't, you know, it takes two or three days to wind down. And after that two or three days of reading books, lying by the pool, you get ants in your pants. And I've got to go and do stuff. Either run up a mountain or just something, you know, explore. The girls are like, Dad, I just want to chill. I'm always like, let's go. So I went, I snuck off one afternoon, and I I hired one of those um, old Jeeps that you see, you know, a little white old Suzuki Vitara, you know, know, and I thought, I'm hiring that, and I drove it back to the hotel, and I said to the family, who's coming? And they're like, yeah, right, I'm not getting in that. It looks like it barely works. And I was like, come on, we're going to have a great time. We'll get in the Jeep and we'll go and explore the interior. My dad went, all right, Jamie, I'll come. <laughs> so, so my dad gets in this Jeep and we take off into the interior. And uh, we spend the next sort of four hours driving, you know, just exploring. No map, you know, I'm just like, let's go for it. Anyway, we, we end up with these tiny little windy roads driving up these mountain <laughs> Six and a half thousand feet. We come round a corner to this unbelievable panoramic view of the dim valley. And uh, I'm, we pulled up and me and my dad get out. And we're just like having a little private dad-son moment. And we're looking out at this incredible vista. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But the reality is this. We wouldn't have experienced that unless unless we'd taken a risk to take a drive, to go on a journey, you know. And and what I want to talk about this morning is this. Jesus promises a panoramic view. But are we willing to take some risks and to count the cost? Because the reality is we went back and we told the girls, hey, look, this is what we did. They were like, oh, that's lovely. But they didn't experience it. Me and my dad did. I've been kind of hanging out in Mark chapter one this week, just thinking about this particular um, uh, promise and statement that Jesus says. He says this, in verse nine, it's coming uh, sorry, chapter nine, verse one, he says, "I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power." What a statement that is. Jesus has stood with his friends and his disciples and they're journeying together. And he's saying to them, some of you here right now, before you die, you're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. Now I look around this room and I know there are some people in this room, that is most definitely their prayer. I want to suggest this is our prayer, GP. We want to see God move. In our lifetime, we've got one life. The baton has been put in our hands at this time. We want to see that. We want to see it. It's powerful. And now, he, he says this. And, and, and in the next chapter, and we're going to go there, You know, Jesus is like, He's both cryptic and prophetic in these moments because he says some of you here are going to see the power of God before you die. And then, the, and then in the next sort of couple of paragraphs, there's a transfiguration moment. Jesus climbs up a hill and suddenly his glory is unveiled. His divinity starts to break through and three guys get a chance to see that. He is speaking of that moment in this, but not just that moment. He's also speaking of the resurrection moment. He's also speaking of the Spirit of God coming upon this new community who are saying we want to be, our lives to be ruled and reigned by you, Jesus. He's speaking of that moment when Pentecost happens and the Spirit of God, the very presence of Jesus, arrives and the glory of God comes in tongues of fire. He's speaking of that moment. And if he's speaking of that moment, then it's an ongoing moment. This promise then echoes through time and space to you and me. Some of us, some of us will see the power of God, the kingdom coming in power in all of that. And I don't think he's just talking about miracles. We often jump there very quickly, don't we? I think he is saying some of that stuff. He is. But he's also talking about the justice of the kingdom being manifest amongst us. The kindness of the kingdom manifested amongst us, the church. Listen, we're a church not because of this building. We're a church because we follow Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, then his spirit is amongst us. And he wants to um, unveil his glory through you and me in our often mundane Ordinary lives. Guys, that's why we're doing this um, everyday supernatural. Because that's the promise. There it is in your workplaces. Not just here. But at Shell and BP and at the academy or at the college or at the university and with your neighbours. If there is a couple, or maybe one thing that I want to say to you over the next year. And, and this is my prayer is that I serve you to enable you to see this in your own spheres of influence. Whether you're a head teacher or a janitor or whatever, you know, you do in life, that's what our job, mine and Tor's job, in coming and bringing leadership and and being being handed this, you guys, by these guys, is to say, this is what we want to see in you. And I'm not doing my job unless... That starts to happen. So as we start a new season together, maybe maybe I just want to ask the question or throw it out and say, are you up for that? Because it's never just about Sunday. It's about the rest of the week and see, that's the space where we're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. Of course we'll see some of that here. And we're going to pursue that here. But we want it for there. Is that all right? Well, I think we need a bit more amen in here. Come on, you lot. I mean, in Lawrence Kirk, they're like, yeah, come on. I'm only joking. They're not that. But, but you don't know that. All right. <laughs> so Jesus says this incredible and amazing promise, doesn't he? And it comes. That goal, that promise comes In a context of cost. See, every conversation that we have in in Scripture with Jesus, there's always a context to it. And so we need to explore what the context is. Because it's a great promise. But it comes in a conversation in particular with Peter that is what I would call a very crucial conversation. So let's just back up a little bit before we get into um, chapter 8, 31 and onwards um, so in chapter 8, uh, and we kind of skipped this. So if you weren't around uh, last week, I think Jude came in and she looked again at the, the moment where, uh, with Jairus' daughter again. And uh, the amazing um, uh, moment there at that miracle. But uh, in verse 22, it talks about Jesus coming to Bethsaida. And there's a blind man. And the crowd bring him out. And it's the one place where Jesus spits in a guy's eyes and touches his eyes twice. It's like, that's a bit unusual, isn't it? And and you begin to realize that Jesus heals that man, and, and that man receives his sight, but also Peter receives insight. And so there's this parody, this parallel going on. As one man receives physical sight, we see Peter suddenly realizing Jesus is the Messiah, the King. It's like the penny finally drops from blurred vision to, oh my word, you are the king we've been waiting for. With unbelievable clarity. And in Matthew's gospel, in that moment, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. Upon you, you're, you're, a, you're, you're a man who's available and ready and you've seen and you've the spirit of God is, my father has shown you who I am and upon that, Insight I will build my church. What an amazing moment of affirmation. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, You're my guy, and I'm going to build with you. And then we pick it up here, okay? Let's have a quick read. Um, verse 31. He then began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. Wow. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Or, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory for the holy angels. We want to pursue the promise, don't we? We do. But the reality is, according to this moment and in Jesus' teachings, the promise of power and the kingdom breaking in comes in the context of cost. It seems like they are absolutely synonymous. They're, They're the package deal. You can't have one without the other. Jesus is teaching his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And let's be honest, don't we have selective hearing? Uh, Victoria would say that to me, you know. I have the gift of selective hearing. We only ever really want to hear what we want to hear, don't we? Some of you are nodding. Some wives are going, oh yeah. Peter, in this moment, all he hears is, what? I just said, you're the king, you're the Christ, you're the one. And now you're telling me, Suffering and death, that can't be right. Peter doesn't get it. His vision is still clouded, if you like, with his own hopes and perceptions of what kind of a king Jesus is. He hears the death stuff, but he doesn't hear the resurrection bit. And the reality is, as we read this passage, Peter's perception is unbelievably contrary to what Jesus has come to do. Isn't that right? Jesus is saying, my kingdom... The Father's kingdom comes in loss. And it's going to come through the cross. Suffering and power and sacrifice and the kingdom are sort of like, they're sort of cosmically connected. It seems like a law of the universe, or it's been written into the very fabric of life by God himself. It's God's way of bringing his power to earth. And that is the absolute reverse of what we think and what man would do, isn't it? The kingdom is free, but it's not cheap. It's, we say that, don't we? Hallelujah, that's good. We, we, we do get, we hear it, but we don't. That's the reality of it, because if you're anything like me, I want to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. But here is Jesus is saying, if you're going to really follow me, if that is part of the deal. So we want to pursue, don't we, the promise. But we've got to count the cost. And so I've been reflecting as to why Jesus responds so harshly to Peter, his great friend, in this moment. When I first read this, I thought, oh man, it's my first preach at GP, as site pastor. Get behind me, Satan. That's going to encourage him, isn't it? <laughs> but here's the thing. Because of Peter's, you know, um, and I want to say ignorance, and maybe even his innocent ignorance... His perspective has become a stumbling block for Jesus in this moment. You know, if you have time, go back and read Luke chapter 4. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When the father affirms Jesus after his baptism, he says, this is my son, and the spirit of God comes upon Jesus, it says, and the Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. And it's in that moment, As he spends time in the wilderness, it says Satan comes to tempt him. And it's really fascinating, because in those moments of temptation, there is a moment where the devil says to Jesus, he says, hey, have a look. Takes him up into a high place, and he said, look, all the kingdoms of the earth. Every generation is here. The goal and the reason you've come is these guys, isn't it? He says, you can have it all. You can, you can have them. Just bow down. Just bow down. What he's saying is, is you can have all of this. You can have the promise. You can have the goal. But you don't need to go through all the mess if you just bow down. And then it says, And Satan left him looking for an opportune time. This is one of the opportune times. Isn't it interesting? Peter has just declared who Jesus really is publicly. And the moment his identity is publicly declared, the enemy comes. And he says... Through the very words of Peter, you don't actually have to go there. Can you see see this? You don't actually have to go there. In fact, Lord, you cannot go there. It's a very strong rebuke. Peter's saying, how can you go? No, Lord, you're the Lord. We've got to defeat the enemy. You know, he's thinking politically and all of that kind of stuff. And he's saying to Jesus, the Son of God, you don't need to go to the cross. And that's why Jesus comes back as harsh, because he he hears the enemy saying, remember, you don't need to do this. You don't. And so he says, get behind me. Peter does not realize what's at stake. You know what's at stake? You and me. And the salvation of us all. Because Peter, his perspective... Is not in line with God's. And that's why Jesus comes back and his actual words are Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men, because things of men, we would always avoid suffering. And in fact, let's be really honest. We want the promise without the cost, don't we? Come on, let's just be brutally honest. We want the miracles. We want the power of God. We want salvations. We want to see justice. But none of those things come without taking hold of some cost. So are we, are we up for a fresh journey? To pursue the promise. But the reality, it comes in a package. and a package of cost. And this is going to mean different things to some of us in the room. What I see here is that the pride in our perspective, in our opinion, and in this case in Peter's perspective, starts to play against the purposes of God. I don't want to play against the purposes of God in my life, and as a leader with you guys. And that's very sobering, isn't it? To suddenly find yourself on the wrong side of the net, playing against God when we're saying we're for him. But I think sometimes pride and our skewed perspectives of things can land us in that. So let's hold these things lightly and bring them to Jesus. And when he speaks... Hey, by the way, you want that? Yes. There's going to be a tough road ahead at times. We need to embrace. GP, are we up for the embrace? Come on. Sacrifice seems to be God's conduit for power. Self-preservation and self-interest is the enemy's conduit of power we have a clash of kingdoms right here a clash of mindsets happening and unfolding in this conversation are we going to live as man does or are we going to live like Jesus And then let's just look in verse 34. So Jesus is saying this to Peter and to his disciples, isn't he? He's had this crucial conversation and they're like, whoa. And then it says he turns to the crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and then says to them, so he's been addressing the disciples more privately. Now he then addresses the crowd and the disciples together and then he begins to unpack some other stuff. And it's to do with the now. What you, ha- what you do in the very present, is, uh, 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 if you like, what you ha- the decisions that you make today are going to impact tomorrow. And so he starts to uh, talk about this promise of what you do today will affect the tomorrow. He says, anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose... Sorry, everyone... I got it wrong there, didn't I? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. When he comes in all his glory. That's the tomorrow. If we want to save our lives. Then we need to lose them today. But yeah. So we've got to make some decisions today about this. Because it will affect then the tomorrow. If we're going to live by trying to gain and self-preserve. And I'm going to let you guys interpret that however you think. If we're going to live by self-preserving and self-gaining then there will come a tomorrow where we lose it all. But if we're giving instead of gaining, if we live a life of the kingdom that is one that freely gives today, whether that's love and kindness and resources, when we give it away and it doesn't hold us, then we gain it in the tomorrow. And the scary one there for me as I look at that is that if you turn from me today in those moments when people come and they say, what did you do this weekend? How, what, what, you know, I th- are you a Christian? In those moments of like, here we go. Jesus said, if you turn in that moment and are ashamed of me today. And in the great tomorrow, when listen, I am when I return, I'm not just going to be that. I'm not coming back as the suffering servant, but I am coming back with the as the prince in all glory to judge heaven and earth. In that tomorrow, hey, I will not be ashamed and I will not turn. This is like an unbelievably crucial conversation. It says you're going to follow me then something of the cross needs to enter into the very bloodstream of our lives, into the very DNA of how we make decisions. And they start today because they're going to impact our lives for the big tomorrow. And let's be honest, listen, I've done a bunch of funerals in the last month. I don't know when your tomorrow is, but I know there is a big tomorrow when Jesus comes. And so what's happening here is Jesus is saying, we've got to start living In the light of that tomorrow, that future has to somehow break into today and for us to start making decisions around that today. Very powerful. We want the promise, don't we? We want to pursue the promise. We want the kingdom, the power, the miracles, the justice, the kindness, the gentleness. We want the spirit of God to be amongst us. We want to prophesy and see people fall down under the power of God and unbelievers going, Whoa, how did they know that? Who wants that? Just me and three others. Well, I'm hoping by the end of this year, we're going to move that on. All right? Because we're either going to just play a game called Christianity or we're going to start living it. And listen, I'm preaching to me. Listen, you're going to get used to me, When I'm preaching, I'm preaching to me because I don't like cost. But I love Christ. And I want my love for Christ to beat the cost. Is that all right? We're up for that? A bit of a journey. Right, I'm going to wrap up now. But I do think it's an unbelievably challenging moment in the life of the disciples. It's a challenging and exciting moment for you and for me as we start this journey together. My true followers will see the kingdom of God breaking in, in their lifetimes, if they count the cost. In my own personal study, um, I've been tracking um, through Acts, and that's one of my favorite books. It's full of amazing stuff. and What I think I love about it is, and I love Jesus and I love the Gospels, but what I love about Acts is it's about the, it's about normal people. It's, it's post-resurrection and it's about the spirit of God coming upon normal people to do extraordinary things. In some ways, I think, I love this stuff because the disciple in the Gospels, the disciples around the physical person of Jesus and a big bit of me goes, well, it was all right for them because they got to touch, feel and see and hear for themselves. But there's a whole bunch of people in the book of Acts that didn't. And that means that's you and me. You know, it's like a book for us. But what I've just, I've been so gripped by Paul. And in Acts chapter 14, here is a man who has counted the cost. He goes to Iconium, which is actually not far from the the, the big pho- photo I showed you. Uh, that's in, in Pamphylia. He goes to a, a, a city called Iconium, and he begins to preach the gospel there. And it says, but the Jews... Who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, what would you do in that moment? Let me tell you what Paul does. So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. The heat was on, and they went, Well, we'll stay here then. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message by his grace. By enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Here's a thought. Do we get out of dodge too quick and we miss the miracles? Do we miss those moments when, the, when things get a little bit heated, where conflict maybe does come? Do we just go, okay then? Or do we do a Paul and a Barnabas and go, I'm going to hang out here? and I'm going to believe because that's what happened there and they saw stuff happen they pressed into the potential cost and they saw a breakthrough so I'm asking a question in my own heart, and my own life about my own neighbours, my friends my family and all of that stuff in the little conversations that we have are there moments, indicators where we go "Oh, trouble's brewing and we go I'll get out of the kitchen or do I go No, 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 no. Let me tell you a little bit more. This is a Jesus who loves you. He's got a plan for you. And I don't want you on the wrong side of the fence when it comes to judgment day. And then, from there, they go to Lister and Derby. And as they arrive, they pray for people and things happen. And it says, people want to worship them. So they get all freaked out. They're like, no, we're just men, and we're just normal people, and, and they're trying to point people to God. And then these troublemakers come again from Iconium. They're following him around, stalking him, <laughs> and they stir up trouble. And you know what the crowd did? The very crowd that wanted to worship Paul are turned. They're fickle. They drag him out of the city, and they stone him and leave him for dead. The crazy thing is this, as you read that, he's alive. He says, and, and that evening the disciples come to tend to him. And the next day he returned into the city. <laughs> Who does that? Who returns back into the place where they just got a serious beating? Paul and Barnabas, their DNA had changed. Peter's DNA had changed. And the God's spirit had come upon him. I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. We're going to respond. And we want the promise, don't we? But there's always a cost. The kingdom is free, but it's not cheap. Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord and Friend, shouldered that cross and he walked up Calvary's hill. Nobody made him do it. He did it because he loves you and me. And he let himself be nailed there. He could have asked for the angels to come. He didn't. Because he knew That he wanted the power of God and the kingdom to be breaking out in this generation too. And the only way that was going to happen was that he went through suffering, through death to be raised again to bring life to you and me. Do we want to join him? So we're going to take communion in a minute, which is very apt, isn't it? And I want us to look at that bread and, and look at that little cup with some juice in it and see a gateway to a promise. A gateway to the possibility of the impossible happening in our lives and in our generation. But we've got to go through communion to receive it. And so for some of us today, that's going to mean a number of things. It's going to mean, even as I've been speaking, some of you are like, oh my gosh, this week I backed off. This week I said, oh, I can't do that, Lord. Some of us colleagues said things and you shrunk back. Listen, this is not condemnation. I want to say to you, the Lord forgives you, but let's not be ashamed of him who gave everything. And he wants to pour into our lives power, to speak boldly and to live well in this world. Why don't we stand? The guys are going to come. There's going to be two stations for communion over here on my left and on my right. You know, I just want to say, I don't know all of you. I know some of you, and, and maybe you're visiting today. First of all, if you're visiting from another church, we love you. And you, if you love Jesus, come and join us in this communion moment. Maybe today's the day where you have been journeying here and you're realizing, I don't know Jesus. And there'll come a day, I don't want to come face to face with Him without knowing Him now. I want to know Him now so I know Him in the future. And if that's you today, as you take communion, I want you to just pray a prayer. Jesus, I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us that are doing this, maybe for the hundredth or two hundredth or a millionth time, I want you to say the same prayer. Because the same prayer, it means I'm embracing suffering for the promise. Is that okay? I'll pray and then I'm going to hand over to you.